0: Everything goes back to the very beginning. When the first legends built a united republic to enable supreme power to the people, join Fiat Republic on a thrilling adventure. This is a Crypto Legends podcast. everybody, this is Martina Levinska from Fiat Republic, and you're listening to The Crypto Legends, the show where we meet the legends and creators of Web3. Today, we have the pleasure of having Justin Hartsman, co-founder and CEO of Coinsmart on the show. Justin is a startup fanatic. He has created successful Web2 e-commerce businesses before funding the crypto trading platform Coinsmart. Justin has religiously focused on the core reason Coinsmart exists, making crypto accessible. This has led to them being one of Canada's leading and most trusted crypto platforms. Hi Justin, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. So excited to be here today.
0: Thanks so much. So I'm gonna jump into the, the past first, if that's okay. So in two thousand and five, you jumped headfirst into Web Two with the founding of All You Can Eat Internet, something you still believe in because you are still on the board. Does how it shaped your perspective of e economies?
1: The precursor of Web3. Yeah, well, I actually go back further than that Uh, before 2015 to Web1. I was an early, early adopter, and it was just so incredible that you had this screen that connected before the Internet, then to the Internet. You had access to things that were out there to communicate with other people. And to me, as a lifelong entrepreneur, even before the Internet, uh, whether it was selling backpacks or, uh, you know, working in retail or whatever it may have been in the past, Um, it was a whole world that was opened up to me. No longer did I have to focus on the people right around me, but this whole worldwide web of individuals that I could get out to. So for me, um, it was always something that was interesting. First got into things like um, first player shooter games online, creating bulletin boards where you can go and talk. And then we went to university or college um, and kind of forgot about the internet for a little bit because I was busy focusing and studying uh, you know, business and economics um, and really had no time. When I came out of university in 2005, like you mentioned, um, I needed to do something. And for me, it was always an entrepreneurial something that I was looking for to do. Um, I didn't want to go into management consulting or into, you know, banking, which a lot of my friends and colleagues wanted to do. Um, so I I went to real estate and real estate development because I thought it was a good forte into many things. I could build my network. It was something that gave me the flexibility to work uh, as much or as little as I wanted. But moving to a much larger city from the small city that I I was born in, Kingston, Ontario, I was now living in Toronto, that was a very difficult thing to do, to break into a market that was quite established. People already had the people they were working with or developers that that they had trust in before. So while I was trying to build up that business... I reached out to a couple of, you know, good friends that I made online earlier and I reached out to one of those people and that person happened to be uh, one of the founders of MySpace. Um, And MySpace, if you went and looked it up at the time, you know, he said to me, actually, I'll tell the story here for a second. uh, Justin, I never really liked you before, but I know you want to do something here and uh, I'm creating a social network, but I don't create all the content. You do the content. You'll make a ton of money. I'm like, wow. That sounds interesting. Tell me more about what's going on there. Uh, he deleted me off ICQ at the time. If people know that was before MSN Messenger, before Slack, before all that sort of stuff. Um, and I still remember my number, seven two five two zero eight. 208 I was like, holy, what, what does he mean? you type social network online. Yahoo at the time. Google wasn't even that big then. Um, it meant nothing. So I actually tracked him down. I emailed him and he said, uh, OK, it's called myspace.com. I went to the site and it just, you know, the, the lights went on. It was so real to me that he was building a network. People wanted to customize their space like you customize your dorm room, like you customize your house. Um, and if they're not doing that, why don't we do that? So we were one of the first to provide all the background images, the kitty cats that fall from the sky, the visitor maps, uh, a music player before they had one. And we put that up um, first day. The site went live and we had nobody. Day two, we had a thousand people. By the end of the week, we had a million people a day and growing. So it was absolutely uh, incredible growth. I did this with my current co-founder right now. Uh, Jeremy Coven. And since then, it's just been a concession of building businesses for people with needs, uh, servicing those needs, making it as easy as possible, um, and being hopefully at the right place at the right time. Uh, So we went from that, we sold that business three months after uh, we started it, we took that money, we bought all of our competitors, because we had an advantage in that space at that time, we had better advertising rates than anybody else. We packaged that up, we ran it for nine months, and then we sold that as our second exit, all within one year of being within business. And that's when we created All You Can Eat Internet, um, a web brokerage firm, as well as WeSellYourSite.com. Because no one was there to sell those businesses for us, um, we knew there was a gap in the market. That's kind of how we always find something to do next. And uh, so we became website brokers. We sold over 170 businesses for other people, web two businesses that all have a online presence, you know, e-commerce or a content based business or um, anything you can under the side, you know, adult businesses, you name it. We sold it to fortune companies, private equity firms, uh, portfolio holders, you name it. But it was a great, great introduction to the market. Um, and that led us into a series of going, oh, You know, we've we've created all these businesses for people through our web brokerage, all-you-can-eat internet. We sold these businesses and understood them. We did all the due diligence on them, knew everything under the hood. Well, maybe it's time that we started our own startup. And in 2015, that's what we did. I think that's the progression of how we got from starting up together to our first official startup in 2015. That's a
0: great beginning of the journey. So you mentioned one thing here. Uh, It's about the growth. So Tech companies carry heavy pressures, especially growth. Frequently, these pressures or spectacular failures arising from them were most informative, right? So can you speak a little bit more about your experience with it?
1: Absolutely, listen, we have had some successes. I I, I won't deny that. We've had four exits in total so far uh, in our career since 2005 but we've also had some incredible failures. And this comes from um, many, many different things. One is being too early, not having the technology, the resources, the ability to build what we think that we can or want to and bring to market. So we've seen that a few times. Uh, I remember one was um, this grocery product that we wanted to make, which allowed you to create a list of uh, your shopping items that you want at the grocery store. And then it would look at all the grocery stores in your area to find the best place to get them for the cheapest for that basket of goods. But the data just wasn't rich enough at that time. The geo-targeting wasn't rich enough and it was really hard to accomplish. Now that might be a fun side project to work on. Um, So that was a failure. Um, And then unfortunately, I just mentioned in 2015, we started our entrepreneurial journey in the way of a true tech startup. Um, and that, unfortunately, was a, a big failure for us. It was a company um, in the social media space. We were the largest digital agency in the world based on customer accounts. We had 30,000 customers with a 20-person team. It was all based on artificial intelligence and automation. So when on so someone on social media uh, said, you know, my tooth hurts, what do I do? We'd recognize they need a dentist, and we showed them an ad for a dentist. But because we were reliant on Third-party platforms being that of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, when they went through some of their own issues at Cambridge Analytica and they started turning off all these funnels of data because they were being used in nefarious ways, us who were doing something very positive and working directly with you know, companies like Facebook and telling them what we were doing and how we were doing it, that was all taken away from us because – they just couldn't have the security risk anymore. So unfortunately, that company did fail. Uh, we never recovered from the Cambridge Analytica situation where we had no longer could service customers. We can no longer bring on new customers for about a three to six month period. And then eventually COVID um, was the end of that for us because uh, as we were able to turn it around a little bit and bring it back online and as new product sets, you know, website builders and other things like that um everyone stopped advertising and our our advertisers were the the micro businesses out there so when covid started no one could do business they weren't spending any money we just knew at that time we didn't have enough capital we didn't have enough resources to move forward and the only option was to shut that down so an awesome company building something really cool bringing these big tools that you know institutions have to the small guys so everyone could have it um wrong place wrong time um stuff happens and we, we got caught up in that. So you definitely have to learn from them. And what we did was learn from that, you know, make sure we get to mar- uh, product market fit sooner, make sure that we um, work on revenue first. Um, you know, it's not only product, don't perfect product and it take forever to get to it, but get it out there and, and really move forward in a way that um, we're bringing revenue in to support that and proper capitalization across the board and simply just learning how to manage people, time and energy
0: yeah I think it's all about kind of like all the learning experiences that you put into into the new venture right so
1: absolutely speaking
0: of of, of bitcoin stories so the most famous bitcoin genre I think it's probably the missed opportunity uh around two thousand ten your business was offered five thousand dollars in Bitcoin can you tell us a little bit more about that story
1: yeah it's not a good one but uh I can live with it now it doesn't it's not a big deal maybe one day I'll resolve it um We had a client with all-you-can-eat internet, as you mentioned before, and they asked us to build an iPhone app. So we did that. It was a $5,000 build. wasn't anything too crazy. It was just something for his company or whatever it may be. And when it came down to payment time, he said, unfortunately, I can't pay you. And we're like, well, that doesn't really work for us. We did the effort and we need to be paid. So why don't you um, come up with some solution? He said to us. Justin, uh, I have Bitcoin available. I'll pay you $5,000 worth of Bitcoin. Well, you go on Google at that time, you type in Bitcoin and nothing exists. It's a bunch of crazy websites with wizards on them and what the white the original white paper and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, for us, we're, we're you know, entrepreneurs, let's take a gamble. We said, sure. And I see the email where he says they've been sent. And I said, thank you for that. But I don't remember what wallet or if I had a computer that was like, was it a paper wallet that it was sent to? Or do we have to run Bitcoin Core at that time to take it in as a wallet? So uh, somewhere, some way, I may be very wealthy um, with those coins and not just myself and my partners and the people that they belong to. Um, But all in all... Uh, we never bank on that. We look at always working hard to produce what we're looking to build big companies. Uh, and since then, we've been able to get in early uh, early into crypto and accumulate what we have. So I'm pretty happy about that. But yeah, not a fun story. Uh, it'd be nice to have 5,000 Bitcoin at this price or at 65,000 or where it's going to 100,000 plus. That'd be very nice.
0: Well, it is summer. We just don't know where it is. So that,
1: that's the other part of the story.
0: Uh, in, cool. in,
1: in, quite frankly, he may never have sent them and i just didn't know what was going on he still ha- he still may have them so uh who, who knows but it's a good story to tell that's for sure
0: no that's a good one so living the past in the past and moving on to the present so accessibility in cryptocurrency ought to be foundational right so tell us more about where coinsmart comes into this
1: you know, that's exactly it. And that's why we kind of got, not kind of, that's why we did get into this market. I remember sitting at, uh, by a pool down in Florida with my family home. Uh, and uh, I was trading crypto and it was, this is, you know, twenty early 2017, uh, late 2017. And the markets were going crazy and it was hard not to be making money in crypto at that time. And people are wondering, you know, Justin, what's going on right now? What is it that you're you're doing? And I I try to tell them about it. The concept's just super hard to understand. And they're like, okay, well, you know, we can – we have the affordability to go out and buy some and even if it's at a risk. uh, Help me to do that, Justin. Well, try and get a 35, 40, 55-year-old person – to understand how to do what crypto was and then get onto a platform and register, it was very difficult at that time. Uh, It took time, there was no support. Uh, When you sent money in, especially here in Canada, going to send a wire, if you're down in Florida in the US and you wanna send a wire, you actually have to physically be in a branch to do that. So that made that very difficult at the same time. And once you sent the money, it may not have hit your account at that time for two to four weeks sometimes 10, and now you've missed part of the market. So we knew that we could do it better, and what better meant to us was more accessible and more transparent and more trusted. And and those are the the themes that we live by today in everything that we do here. Our mantra is making cryptocurrency accessible, and we want to make it um, a way that you're never in a place where you're left wondering, or is that the right company to be doing business with? So regulatory first was always our approach. And I think that's key to talk about as one of the first FinTrack regulated companies here in Canada for cryptocurrency. And then we've been playing the role always of looking after, going after regulatory as it's become available for us so that people can understand that we're taking the right approach all the way along. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's that's what we have done. And uh, we're proud to say that we are a regulated entity uh, here in Canada under the Ontario Securities Commission and the Canadian Securities Association, um, which gives us you know the the ability to work across Canada. We're audited. Uh, we are looked after, looked at, um, and under their purview. And then last year, November 2nd of last year, we also went public, which then gives a whole other level of transparency on what we're doing today to have our financials out there for people to understand the players behind it and all of the things that we need to do to be uh, compliant with being a publicly traded company. So we are the first publicly traded company, not the only now, we were the only, we were, but we were the first publicly traded regulated platform not only here in Canada, but also in, uh, at, through Europe. And as well, we are uh, are uh, FinCEN regulated down in the U.S. for a Wyoming corporation as well. And that is very impressive, honestly, because most
0: regulatory stories in cryptocurrency are pretty negative. But I mean, you've mentioned this, Coinsmart is different because you've been one of the first Canadian exchanges to be compliant with FinTrack. You're also a trust member. For the audience, uh, Trust is a joint venture between multiple crypto exchanges in the U.S., Canada and Singapore. You've spoken previously about uh, the situation with Terra, Celsius, or 3AC. And uh, how do you believe, uh, you know, being part of, uh, of trust, you know, communities like trust can help the industry come together and elevate credibility and prevent these kind of collapses from happening in the future?
1: Well, listen, I think we're, the this, this space is so new, you know, we're still in the first half of the first inning, maybe we're just gone to the second inning, I guess, in the space right now. Um, And that trust and transparency has to not only be us because – and I'll back it up for a second. Because regulatory is so important to us and we follow that uh, by every single thing that we do, that's really stammered our growth and our innovation because we can't offer all these products – that other people are looking for. If you wanted to go to a DeFi protocol, if you wanted to buy NFTs, if you wanted to do yield or high interest accounts uh, out there and and, have stuff. So what's happening is they come to us because they trust us and then they're sending money to these other platforms that regulators don't have jurisdiction over. So if we have things like trust that that are coming in to circle back to the question you're doing and we're all working towards the same goal And regulators are understanding that we're doing that and they know that we're doing it the right way, then maybe we can offer more of those products and services as individuals or the group in in the trust platform, where if we're sending our clients funds within those spaces, we know they're still safe and secure and they're going to the right place. So it's super important because I always say, you know, we're there with our competitors, Is that a bad thing people ask and you know there's a bunch of competitors. No, we're in a nascent market with only, you know, one and a half percent of the world in crypto right now. High tides raises all ships. And that's what we need. We need everyone to come together, do the right thing, help regulate this in the right way and bring all these incredible products that could be nefarious have done improperly. And we've seen some of that done in the right way through regulated entities. And that's really what we're looking for as being part of trust and other groups like that within Canada and abroad. So it's probably safe to
0: say that crypto space is also changing constantly. Uh, you've been speaking at various uh, UFLED panels, uh, most recently uh, Toronto Metropolitan University. So where do you see the next generation of, uh, of crypto entrepreneurs?
1: Well, I think that we've seen, you know, early adoption was um, you know, middle-aged men. Truthfully, that's what it was. We've seen that move into uh all ages, men and women. I love to see that. This is ubiquitous to all people. This is not defined by one single group, and that's why it's so important that crypto gets out there. Um, we've now seen millennials, come in uh, and get really interested through the NFT space. Uh, COVID has pushed that along where people are at home at all ages, very young, starting to trade, whether it's stocks and or crypto, and get really into it. And the whole idea is the more people we can educate that this is a truly trustable asset class, much like uh, a stock, a bond, a mutual fund, uh, whatever it may be, And we get to them early and they can understand it, the more adoption we're bringing to the market, which outgrows crypto to where it should be and needs to be in the future. So it's all part of helping out and giving back. The idea is these people want to know more. If I can go and have a conversation with them, answer the questions that they have. Um, I'm doing the right thing for the market, it's no sweat off my back, and I'm always available to help or guide anyone who's looking to get into the space and or um, just has a question or wants to move forward. Uh, If I know someone, I'm happy to do that introduction always.
0: Another impressive thing from Coinsmart is uh, how you're doing right now. So every crypto platform has been impacted by the significant drop in the retail volumes. Yet CoinSmart only so drops close to 30% as opposed to others experiencing more like 50 plus percent. So what's the secret? How have you achieved
1: this? Well, um, I think it goes to my team who does a really good job in um, being there for them, educating them at the same time. Um, You know, like I said before, if you can be there for them before, during, and after any trade or thinking about doing a trade that really gives people confidence. And we're one of the only, and we were the first, um, to a platform to have 24-hour, seven-day-a-week omni-channel support. So whether you want to chat with us, phone us, uh, talk to us on social media, we're there always to service you, and I think that's a big piece of that. Our user experience uh, that we give to our users in the way of ease of use is important. But more than that, it's our product diversification. We were not only a spot exchange. What we also have is very large over-the-counter trading capabilities where we work with institutional investors, traders of the like. They didn't you know come off the market as much. This is a buying time for sophisticated investors with long-term horizons. So I think that was a key aspect. And we also have a piece of our product or our product offering called Smart Pay, where we're offering payment solutions to websites, local shops, um, you name it, where now people can use the crypto, um, just the same way they would with a credit card and make payment for their favorite things out there today. And that's really helped us to stabilize our income. We have or our revenue. I should say, we have obviously seen a decline like everyone else has, but I think we're preparing ourselves in a build mode right now to have some really good torque on when the market comes back to grow at a quicker pace than we did even previously, which was pretty immense, uh, between the years, 20, uh, 2000, 2020, and 2022.
0: So I think the lesson is that be always very creative, have always kind of like this next big product that you can
1: that you can bring to your clients, to your customers. That's that's super useful. Well, like I think payments, as I mentioned, SmartPay is a huge piece of um, international adoption everywhere. You know, I was actually just speaking at a conference called Futurist here in Toronto, and uh, I was followed up by Vitalik, you know, from Ethereum, and um, his whole conversation, unbeknownst to me, was. What is the next next biggest thing in crypto adoption? And he went into a whole tirade on how payments are so important and why the merge, which is anytime today or tomorrow is happening right now, is going to be helpful on Ethereum to reduce, you know, have scalability and reduce costs because payments are so important. So I think that's a big piece for us. Um, We really want to be ahead of the game and that's what we're doing right now. And we have some incredible customers. We have this incredible pipeline of customers that we're trying to even get online. We can't get people online fast enough and integrated to get this out there. So super exciting for us. And we look forward to seeing that business line grow into the future.
0: And what does making crypto accessible look like in five to 10 years for CoinSmart?
1: For CoinSmart, it's very simple, it is a, a, a holistic environment, a one-stop shop where you can... Under regulatory regime, so very regulated, you can have all the products and services in crypto that you want to have access in a single place. We don't want you to have to come to us, send us your money, put it into Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever you want, and then send it to another venue. We want to be able to do it all here. I think that's very important. A place If you trust the place to send you their money, you entrust, you'll trust them to invest your money with it, um, banking services, payment services, you name it, all in one house. And that's what we're working towards.
0: That's great. And what's the next thing? So you're currently focused mainly on the Canadian markets. Where do you see your international expansion?
1: We're also uh, in Europe right now, and we're seeing a slower expansion there during this time, really understanding our customer set. What we have noticed is they're looking for, like I mentioned, a little more product than what we have to offer under regulatory regime right now. So we'll see how that expands. Um, But... I think you have to wait and see for some announcements. I can't really get out there as a public company to announce them before they happen. So stay tuned, follow us on what we're doing, and I think uh, people will be impressed.
0: That's great. We will definitely will be watching. So thank you, Justin. Uh, You're genuinely a crypto legend, honestly, and it was a
1: pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. This is awesome. I look forward to come back and talking about next steps later on. I appreciate it very much.
0: Thanks. Stay tuned for more legendary tales as we bring those most inspiring stories from the crypto legends of Web3. Crypto Legends is to be continued.